Hey, everybody, we are finally back with more Vegcast. of the full menu in VegCast 94. Yes, it's been a while since VegCast 93, which I want to remind you was a super stuffed uh, VegCast episode, but I really had planned to get this one out sooner. We're getting to it now, and uh, what a great way to kick off 2011, our first podcast of the year. We're going to be talking with Colleen Patrick Goudreau, a fellow uh, vegan podcaster and uh, the author of Color Me Vegan. A uh, new book uh, that takes a kind of a new slant, a new approach to uh, introducing veganism to the casual reader. Uh, we will also have a science fact about dolphins, another one about dolphins, uh, and another very interesting one uh, about how we perceive dolphins and animals and their capabilities. We'll have a new uh, music track from Amanda Rogers, a VegCast fave, and a uh, introduction of a new segment here on VegCast, kind of poetry slam, uh, only in the sense that it is poetry that is slamming the eating of animal products. So that's all coming up. I invite you, as always, to sit back Relax and crank up that MP3 player as we deliver to you this 94th edition of VegCast. Okay, VegCast 94 is sponsored by LightLife, makers of Smart Dog, Smart Crown, and more. Visit them at lightlife.com, veggie goodness for you and the planet. And as you may have been able to detect, there is uh, a little more of a nasal tone than usual to my voice. I am now on the upswing from a head cold that I got last week shortly after interviewing our main guest today uh, and before I could get uh, these uh, interstitial parts done. So I apologize to uh, Colleen uh, that she's had to wait after talking to actually hear this come out, but uh, my voice was really not in shape for podcastery. So I waited until I could get to uh, at least this uh, moderately credible level where I would be able to make myself heard and understood. And now that I am, I'm back and uh, we will have still two VegCasts in January, I vow. Uh, but now let's get right to our interview with Colleen Patrick Goudreau. All right, we are speaking right now by phone with Colleen Patrick Goudreau, the author of Color Me Vegan, as well as the host of Vegetarian Food for Thought podcast and many, many other things. Colleen, welcome back to VegCast. Hi, Vance. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Now, we spoke with you just very briefly uh, last summer uh, at Summerfest, and we wanted to be able to get you on and uh, talk more since you are kind of... Uh, why, let's say, a titan in vegan podcasting, uh, and as well as a cookbook author and so forth. Um, but let's uh, concentrate, first of all, on the book that is out now. It's called Color Me Vegan, and it, it takes uh, kind of a new approach to covering uh, the concept of healthy eating. You go through uh, all the food groups by color. Is that is that a fair assessment? 
That's right. Yeah, basically, you know, that's what I can whittle it down to. If you were to ask me what's the healthiest way for people to eat, I would just say eat by color. Choose the most colorful foods when you go shopping. And so I thought, because that's something I teach and advocate, I thought doing a cookbook based on color would be a really easy and fun and and certainly beautiful approach to, to eating healthfully. Yeah, and it is, and uh, it's interesting that you go through and you have individual colors, and you get to blue, and it, it's combined with purple. Now, I have to point out, George Carlin once famously asked, where's the blue food, and, uh, you know, specifically said, no, blueberries are purple. There's no blue food. They're keeping it from us because blue food bestows immortality. So I wonder if he had, uh, he might have had a little bit of the right idea there. Some of it does uh, get pretty close to immortality. Well, it's true. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a very literal person. So when we were choosing the titles for the chapters, and it, we had settled on blue, and as we were really close to printing, I thought, oh, my God, this can't just be blue. It's really technically not blue. It's purple. Uh, <laughs> and even blueberries, which is interesting, and I think I mentioned it in the book, the helpful aspects of the blueberries is in the skin because blueberries on the outside are blue, but on the inside they're greenish-white. Um, right. Bilberries, um, which are in Great Britain, they're an example of one of those little berries that's blue through and through, but technically blueberries are, um, are green inside. Right. And it just, uh, is there anything that, uh, you know, I haven't read the whole book or anything, but is there uh, anything that you can give us as a thumbnail in terms of I mean, obviously, different colors contain different combinations of antioxidants and so forth. Um, but is there anything that uh, it can be boiled down to, or is is it just a question of just look for the richest color that you can, and whatever color it is, grab it? Sure. I mean, variety is really important. Getting a variety of colors is really important because the different colors reflect a different phytochemical, and the different phytochemicals reflect different, really, aspects of the body and then what healthful effects there are. So, for instance, we've talked about, you know, everybody knows lycopene. That's a phytochemical that can be found in tomatoes and especially comes out in cooked tomatoes because the lycopene is released. And so lycopene, for instance, concentrates itself in the prostate. So that's one of the reasons why they're seeing a lot of effect on, on men who have prostate cancer or enlarged prostate with higher amounts of lycopene. It actually, it actually helps, helps that um, ailment or, or, or cancer. Um, in the case of, uh, let's say, lutein, um, that concentrates itself in the eyes. So, so variety is really important. And having said that, because green, dark leafy green vegetables really contain all the rainbow of colors, if you're having a hard time deciding, the most concentrated, healthful, nutrient-dense foods on the planet really are those dark green leafy vegetables because they concentrate all the colors. It's kind of like when you think about fall, when, when we see the colors on the, in the leaves. It's not that um, the color uh, appears in the fall. It's that the green um, disappears and reveals the color underneath. Hmm. I guess that's neat. true. Yeah. Neat. So that's what's neat about eating all the dark leafy green vegetables is underneath and in, inside it is all of the color you just can't see because the chlorophyll is what we see when we look at the green leafy vegetables. Great. Well, uh, always enjoy another excuse to eat uh, dark green leafy vegetables. Uh, they are some of my favorites. And um, before we leave the book, uh, I just wondered the, the title. I mean, it obviously suggests itself when you when you start talking about color. But are you at all a fan of Barbara Streisand? 
<laughs> you know, it's funny. I actually was a long time ago when I was a teenager, but um, but I did not have Barbara Streisand in mind when I came up with the title. Okay, well, it was, it was an album that was inflicted on me by my parents when I was young. Uh -huh, but, so I, I know it well. I, yeah, I, I just, every time I see anything, it just... Uh, anyway, uh, moving on to the, the concept of podcasting now, uh, VegCast has been around a while. I remember that uh, one of the first podcasts when I started looking for other uh, veggie podcasts to add to my kind of blog role there, uh, I found yours there. And I, I can't remember who started first, but what was what was the impetus uh, for you to decide, you know, I've been doing this uh, kind of advocacy and education and everything. I'm going to put it in, in, into a podcast form. Yeah, it was really a friend who had recommended it. I had done the cooking DVD about five or six years ago, and I was really thinking of just other great ways to reach the largest number of people. And, you know, I was teaching cooking classes at the time, and they were pretty local. And obviously with the work we do, we want to hit the masses. And so a friend of mine recommended doing these audio podcasts. I really wasn't even familiar with what podcasting was when I started and just kind of dove in and started by answering the, you know, the most typical questions, particularly protein was the first episode I ever did. And, you know, you probably know what this is like when you first start. You have no idea who's going to listen. You have no idea if anybody's even out there. <laughs> and it just really took off on its own, really organically, and it's grown. We have, you know, it's just amazing. The podcast listeners are so wonderful and so loyal and dedicated. And, uh, you know, I've heard from hundreds of people who've become vegan from the podcast, and there's nothing more gratifying than that. Great. Yeah, and uh, you know, you you do back it up. Obviously, you have the the, the audio experience, but uh, you also have a, a lot of web uh, stuff with with the cookbooks and everything else. Do you have? I, I'm sorry for not already knowing this from my preparation, but is there a, a particular TV outlet for the, the Colleen fans out there? Uh, I'm, we're actually working on that now. 2011, I have already declared, will be the year of video. Uh, you know, I've really spent a lot of time writing the books. We've got more coming out. I've done the podcast for five or six years, and that's really concentrated on the audio. So 2011 is really going to be video. Uh, so I'm going to be working on a video podcast, and then I am very consciously pursuing television so we can hit, cool. hit the airwaves. Great. And you have, um, you're actually, Color Me Vegan, you're still kind of in the, uh, promotion of that it uh, came out uh, pretty late, late last year but you have another book that's uh, in the works now that's uh, going to come out in the spring I believe is that right yeah actually color me vegan came out uh, in December and if anyone ever wants to go they can go to colormevegan.com and they can even get sample recipes for it um, everything is from compassionate cooks but color me vegan has its own website and then vegans daily companion comes out in March and I have a feeling it's going to come out a little earlier um, and that one I'm so proud of. I'm so excited about it. It's 365 days uh, of living compassionately and healthfully, and each day of the week has a different theme. Mondays have a different theme. Mondays are food. Tuesdays are compassionate and effective communication. Wednesdays is health. Thursdays is particularly close to my heart. It's animals in the arts. And uh, Friday gives some um, inspiration and hope. So there's stories of transformation, people who've had their own transformations and became vegan, and also stories of animal rescue. So that's a vegan daily companion, and that comes out in March. Great. That's uh, it's almost like a, a page a day calendar in book form. I mean, it has 
you you turn into a new day and it's like try this today is that yeah okay? kind of you know I, I have a feeling people will probably sit down with it a little more because some of the entries might be a little short but yeah that's the idea uh you know i don't just talk to non-vegetarians who uh, are aspiring to be vegan, I talk to vegans to be the best they can be. And so this book was really an outgrowth of that. Obviously, the message in this book could be for anybody. You don't have to be vegan to respond to messages of compassion and health. But it really is hopefully a guide for vegans who want to be the best advocates they can be, the best, the best spokespeople they can be, the healthiest they can be. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to share this with the world. Great. Well, let me uh, just ask you, as somebody who's, uh, you know, putting out things into the, the public sphere and you're dealing with that issue of who you're talking to, um, because I've had to d deal with this myself when I launched VegCast, even though I'd already been vegan for five years, I called it um, a vegetarian podcast and you called yours vegetarian yeah. food for thought. What What's your take on the whole question of should we say vegetarian, should we... Should we, you know, to try to rope in everybody we can, should we concentrate on the word vegan and just, you know, let people who want to be in that kind of vegetarian limbo go ahead and do that until they, you know, until they want to go further? Or what's what's your, your basic philosophy on that? It, it's a really interesting question. You know, when I started the podcast and when I, I've been, I taught cooking classes for 10 years, I call them vegetarian cooking classes. The podcast I purposefully call vegetarian, and yet my books I call vegan, and everything I do is vegan. And, you know, I tend to look at the word vegetarian as an umbrella term. I, I, I tend to think of it as the truest meaning of that word, which really originally encompassed you know, meat, dairy, and eggs. It's the reason why Donald Watson came up with the word vegan is because he was frustrated that the word vegetarian started to include the consumption of eggs and cow's milk. So the original meaning really, you know, was all of it, was just was not consuming any animal products at all. That's, that's kind of my reasoning. But, you know, the truth is I've had people tell me that they would never have listened to my podcast if I called it vegan food for thought. They never would have come to the cooking classes once I got them there. And I'm not tricking anybody. You know, if you right. go to my website or you go to the description of the podcast and you look at the episode names and you look at the descriptions, I'm not tricking anybody. It, I'm, I'm being very forthright in, the, in that it includes all animals and, and, and it's completely vegan. But because people still have a block, and I think it's changing, but because people still have a block to the word vegan, I want to get them there in a way that's going to be inviting. And then once they're there, then we have a relationship and we can talk and we can kind of go to a different level. And I've had people who, who knew it was vegan who would listen only to certain episodes because they weren't ready to listen to the, the cow's milk episodes, for instance, because they knew that as soon as they listened, <laughs> they were going to go vegan. And right. that's what I love about it. I mean, that's what I love so much about how beautiful this message is and how, how confident I am in the message is that I believe people are really on the fence, that they're really holding on to their excuses and their, their you know, all the habits that they have around meat, dairy, and eggs. But they, the reason they don't want to look at the truth is because they know that they're going to be compelled to make a change. And it's that that they're afraid of more than anything else. It's that change that they're afraid of more than anything else. Right, and that's. I think that's really. I think that's really helpful. And then, and then, and this is really not just to, to plug it. But then, what happens is, in August comes my next book, which I'm super excited about, and that's the book that will hold people's hands through this process. And that's the 30 Day Vegan Challenge. And okay. I'm so 
excited about this book because um, there are so many books out there on why vegan, but yeah. there aren't really a lot of books on how vegan, how to do it. And this book is the book that says, look, do it for 30 days. I'm going to hold your hand the entire time I'm with you. I'm going to answer all of your questions, all of your challenges, and you're just going to do it for 30 days. And by that time, you'll have changed your thinking and you'll have changed your behavior. Okay, is that, and that's in August. You've got, uh, <laughs> yeah. we're here talking about Color Me Vegan. you got another book coming out in March and then another one in, in August. Uh, you know, if we had time today, I would get your complete book itinerary for the next few years <laughs> and we would find out but uh we're going to have to wrap this up uh, pretty much now but is there uh is there i mean you have so many the thing about you is that uh you know you're uh, you're in, in the compassion area you're uh, cooking uh, and nutritional expert uh you have a great stage presence you have a great audio presence and everything else so I'm just wondering, what, what's the one message that uh, you would want people to take away from this? You know, it's, I, it's a message that I really, in my work, is to be as compassionate as possible. And that means opening our hearts and reflecting in our daily choices our own values of compassion. I always say that I'm not asking people to listen to my values. I'm encouraging them to listen to their own values. So I really encourage people to listen to their own values and live by them. If they, if they say they're compassionate people, well, in what ways in your daily life can you reflect that compassion? And that goes for vegans, too. That goes for vegans really understanding that we all didn't come into this world, uh, you know, completely awake, completely aware. We've had a journey ourselves. And to be understanding of the people who are on the path towards awakening and towards, um, you know, unconditional compassion to, to guide them through it as opposed to being judgmental or impatient with them. So compassion is really the message I, I, I want people to walk away with. It's compassion for all animals, not just the non-human ones. Right? That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right, yeah. Okay, great. Well, Colleen Patrick-Goudreau, uh, it's been great uh, being able to speak with you at a little more length, and uh, you have a lot of stuff uh, coming out. We'll be sure to remind people when uh, those things drop, as they say, and I, uh, I want to be sure we mention again Color Me Vegan. It's from Fairwinds Press, and once again, Colleen Patrick-Goudreau, thank you for joining us on VegCast. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for what you do. south of here Should I stick around another year Till it hurts too much to breathe this air Till I've lost my sense of touch And can't feel anything Can't even sing A simple song to the one I love anymore Cause it's sunny south of here And if I drive until the daylight breaks Tomorrow I'll be there Cause it's only getting colder I'll never make it through this winter If tomorrow I'm sober Cause it's sunny south of here Why don't I drive until disappear Till I can't look back and miss what's there Till I've lost my sense of trust And can't believe a thing Oh, that I see Overcasted skies Hiding all that light 
Drive from Amanda Rogers. That's on her album Heartwood. And now, without any further ado, we are going to drive right into the science. Our science fact for VegCast 94 is even blindfolded, dolphins are masters of imitation. This is a report from Reuters. And it starts out, even blindfolded, a seven-year-old bottlenose dolphin named Tanner was able to mimic another dolphin's behavior. Proof, according to Florida researchers, that dolphins are masters of imitation, second only to humans. When his sight was blocked, Tanner used other senses to figure out what the other dolphin was doing and copy it. The researchers at the Dolphin Research Center in the Florida Keys said in a study published in the International Journal of Comparative psychology. And it explains uh, exactly how this works. Like other dolphins at the center, Tanner had already been trained to do a list of tricks, such as sinking underwater and blowing bubbles, retrieving an object from the lagoon, making a noise like a seagull, and rising and offering a fin to shake hands with a person kneeling on the dock. In their tests, In their test, the researchers gave Tanner a familiar hand signal asking him to imitate another dolphin, then covered his eyes with soft latex eye cups to block his sight. They then used hand signals to ask the partner dolphin to do a specific trick, and within seconds, Tanner imitated the other dolphin. They tested them separately on 31 different behaviors in sessions spread over 11 weeks. In some sessions, he was blindfolded, in others, he was not. In both cases, he was able to imitate the other dolphin's behavior far more often than would be expected by chance, the researchers said. Researchers were uncertain 
Whether Tanner figured out what the other dolphin was doing because he recognized the sound that action made, or whether he used echolocation. This is uh, another one of those stories that uh, is not surprising at all to those of us who know uh, that animals have their own uh, sense of intelligence and so forth. Um, but I had to spotlight this because of, first of all, that initial claim uh, that dolphins are masters of imitations second only to humans. That's never backed up in this write-up. I don't know where in the study it's uh, the comparative imitative abilities are uh, quantified and dolphins come in second, but I don't know how many humans can imitate other humans while blindfolded other than in uh, making, obviously, vocal impressions. Uh, and along the line, the article concludes with this, dolphins copy each other's distinctive signature whistles, which act as names. They call out their own to announce their presence and imitate another's whistle to call to that animal. Uh, the researcher said they make a variety of other whistles and clicks. And this researcher by the name of Jayakola seemed skeptical when asked if perhaps the other dolphins had simply told the blindfolded tanner which trick to perform. Nobody's been able to find any sort of meaning in their sounds. Uh, she said that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. No, no, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Uh, and it seems kind of bizarre for somebody whose job is researching dolphins and uh, evaluating their intellectual capacities to think that it's a default assumption that the dolphins are just making meaningless noises to each other uh, because we are unable so far to understand them. So, uh, once again, the lesson that we take away from this, as it seems with most of our other stories having to do with dolphins and sea mammals, is that uh, we really don't know a lot about uh, animals and animals' capacities for emotion, for intelligence, for uh, sensory input and sensory perception that we may not even have a clue about. Uh, so it behooves us, number one, to avoid uh, any activity that is going to harm those animals because we don't understand uh, exactly how much harm that's going to do. We do know that they are sentient, but we don't know how much beyond that. And of course, uh, number two, it means that we should avoid making blanket statements uh, about humans being the most anything, the most intelligent, uh, the most accomplished, the most emotional, or anything, because every study that comes out seems to confirm that our ability to judge is based uh, essentially on wishful thinking, on our assumption that humans must be at the top of something, and uh, it looks like that is not exactly the case, as is shown when we take a look at the science fact. And now something of a new feature here on VegCast. We don't usually read poetry on the podcast, but uh, this is kind of a special poem that I first encountered when it was posted on Facebook by Randy Sandberg. Uh, so I want to thank Randy for drawing my attention to this. It's by Almari, that's A-L hyphen M-A apostrophe A-R-R-I, an Islamic 
uh, writer from the turn of the first millennium. That's around 1000 A.D. And uh, it really is a remarkable poem, even if it were written today, uh, but it was written a thousand years ago. Uh, and it's, it's so remarkable, in fact, that when I saw it, I actually spent a half hour doing research on the Internet to prove to myself that this was not a hoax. Because uh, what we have is a poem that's not about vegetarianism, but about veganism and uh, specifically making an abolitionist case uh, for veganism. So I'm going to read that now. Uh, obviously, this is an English translation. It is entitled, I No Longer Steal from Nature. You are diseased in understanding and religion. Come to me that you may hear something of sound truth. Do not unjustly eat fish, the water has given up, and do not desire as food the flesh of slaughtered animals, or the white milk of mothers who intended its pure draught for their young, not noble ladies. And do not grieve the unsuspecting birds by taking eggs, for injustice is the worst of crimes. And spare the honey which the bees get industriously from the flowers of fragrant plants, for they did not store it that it might belong to others, nor did they gather it for bounty and gifts. I washed my hands of all this, and wish that I perceived my way before my hair went gray. That's Almari. I no longer steal from nature. Uh, it, it, it hits every single point there with the meat, the milk, the eggs, and the honey, and also even includes, boy, I just wish I had gone vegan sooner. Uh, a poem that, as I said, uh, could speak to many of us if written today, but uh, it actually dates from right around 1000 A.D. Really uh, something remarkable I wanted to share with you. And now I have on our VegCast Poetry segment. But now that we've gotten to that, I'm afraid it's time to hit the road. Right, I want to thank my sponsor, Light Life. Light Life makes eating veggie deliciously easy. Join us, they say, and be pro-veggie. And I want to thank Colleen Patrick Goudreau for talking with us about Color Me Vegan and her myriad other upcoming projects. Thanks to Amanda Rogers for giving us permission to play her music on VegCast. And I also want to thank, of course, you, the VegCast listener for subscribing, if possible, and downloading VegCast. We'll be back with you very soon. Until then, get out there and live like you mean it. VegCast.